During the recent coronation of King Charles, he prayed this prayer according to the script of the whole service and said, God of compassion and mercy, whose son was sent not to be served, but to serve. And then he went on to say, Grant that I may be a blessing to all thy children of every faith and belief. Camp on that for just a moment. Of every faith? That means not only Christianity, but Hinduism and Sikhism and Zoroastrianism and every other religion in the world. Is that a correct assessment? Are all these people children of God? We need to find out, and we will, on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Are all human beings children of God? A very important question. If I were to give the politically correct, religiously correct, postmodern response, I would say unequivocally, yes, absolutely yes, All people of all religions are worshiping the same God, and they are all children of God. That's the dominant way you would hear people respond in this day and age. However, is that true? Or are there certain criteria that need to be fulfilled in order to become a child of God? The answer to these questions is a very complex, layered answer that I'm going to give to you. And as I do, I believe a mystery, like a beautiful flower blossoming, this mystery is going to unfold before us. And it will change your way of looking at things, I believe, from this time forward. Let's go into it. Is everyone a child of God? Four primary levels of understanding in my response to that question. Number one, all people are children of God after the creation. They are children of God naturally. And let me support that with something from Scripture. Jesus addressed whole crowds of Jewish and Gentile people who were not yet born again The crucifixion had not happened. The resurrection had not happened. The Holy Spirit had not come back on Pentecost yet. The born-again experience was not available. And yet, Jesus addressed massive crowds of people with these kind of statements. Listen, Matthew 7, verse 11, he said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. Luke chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. Luke 12, verse 32. Do not fear, little flock, For it is your Father's good pleasure 
to give you the kingdom. Now, all of those who heard him make those statements were a mixed group of people, most likely. Of course, I don't know absolutely who was in the crowd. It could have been primarily just his chief disciples in some of those statements. And then at other times, it could have been a mixture of Gentiles and Jews. They were not all necessarily in covenant with God. And I believe Jesus would have been very quick to qualify his statements if being a child of God, naturally speaking, uh, with regard to the creation, was not a foundational level. But he spoke to this whole crowd and said, your father. Well, the implication is, if your father wants to give you the kingdom, you are his child. But that's only level number one. All human beings, I believe, are children of God after the creation. But there's three more levels, and we've got to build the case all the way to the fourth. All right, number two, all Israelites were considered children of God because of a special covenantal adoption, a national adoption. God adopted the nation of Israel to have a special father-child relationship with himself. Where do I get that? In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God instructed Moses and said, Thus shall you say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So in a corporate sense, the Lord adopted the whole nation of Israel to be in a special, uh, intimate relationship with himself. Also in Deuteronomy 14, verse 1, speaking to Israelites only, he said, you are the children of the Lord your God. And then he gave them certain laws and rules to live by to reflect the fact that they had that relationship with him. So now it's not children of God after the creation. The boundaries narrow is children of God because of a covenantal adoptive relationship. And later on, Paul talked about the value of being an Israelite. And he gave six reasons. He, and the first one in the list was the adoption. The adoption. I have friends who have adopted children. And even though they did not pass on a genetic code, they did not do what was necessary in order to bring forth those children through a natural conception and birth process, still they consider those children. They love them as their own children. They treat them as their own children and name them as their own children. So there's levels even within the ranks of human relationships when we refer to somebody as a child. And God did that with Israelites. They were special to him in a father-child relationship. Number three, all who demonstrate godly character, Jews and Gentiles, are children of God in a soulish kind of way. The soul is the realm of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And all people who demonstrate godly character 
qualify, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, Christians or non-Christians, by reflecting similar values and similar characteristics. Where do I get that? Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. What? For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. So if I am kind to unthankful and evil people, then he said, you will be sons of the Most High. In other words, when you love the loveless, the unloving, and the unlovely, when you love those that others would overlook and bypass, and when you even go to the extreme of loving your enemies, you're connecting very much with God and his character. Now, I would underscore not enough for salvation to take place as a result of that. That comes in a different way altogether, but uh, it's a way of connecting with God and revealing who your father, the father of all creation, really is and how he acts and what his character is. I know with my own children, when they uphold certain values that I stand for or when they replicate certain characteristics that I have that I think are good characteristics, I might say something to the effect, or Elizabeth, my wife, may say something to the effect, now you're really a shreve. Why? Well, of course, genetically speaking, they were already shreves, my son and my daughter. But then when they exhibit a characteristic, a personality trait that is very much a part of who I am, all the more they are exhibiting the fact that I am their father. And I believe that was God's way of shining his favor on godly attributes in human beings. Now, is that sufficient for salvation? No, it's not. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, there are other stipulations, other demands in Scripture that lead us up to the fourth level of sonship. First, your children of God after the creation, then one nation, the nation of Israel, and all those Gentiles that were proselyted and brought under the covering of Israel's blessing were children of God by covenantal adoption. And then there's a status of being children of God by exhibiting God-like character. And all those are good. All those are wonderful. But to really be in that blessed and favor-covered group that any human being should desire to be a part of, you and I have to experience salvation, true biblical new covenant salvation. John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 talks about it. Listen to these words carefully. As many as received him, the Lord Jesus Christ, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right, the King James Version says, the power to become children of God. Well, wait just a second. I thought we were already children of God after the creation. Yes, we were already children of God after an adoptive covenantal relationship if we happen to be Jews or proselyted Gentiles. Yes, we're already children of God if we're reflecting the personality of God. Yes, but in a supernatural and full sense. You can only become 
a child of God by walking into a regenerative experience as offered in the New Testament. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. So now that pushes out all of those that may embrace other religions, other worldviews, or be irreligious altogether. Now you have to believe on his name, the name of Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah. You must believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Hmm. How does that happen? In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, in other words, the door of your heart, the door of your inner being, you welcome Jesus in to enthrone himself within you. And he said, if any man open the door, I will come into him and feast with him, which is the most wonderful way to live life, to be feasting every day with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And his table is spread with a sumptuous and delightful meal. If you have ever experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. And the scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, that The word of faith is near to us, even in our heart and in our mouth. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if we confess with our lips the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Well, when that happens, when Jesus truly, genuinely becomes the Lord of your life, and his spirit and your spirit commingle. He said, I will put my spirit in you, and I will give you a new heart, and I will give you a new spirit, and you're born again. Then in a full and complete sense, you become supernaturally children of God, which is so much more profound than the other three combined. Think of that. Jesus spoke to his detractors in a very negative way. Now, this is going to be another counterbalancing factor. Jesus spoke to his detractors in a very negative way. Now, they were Jews, so they were children of God after the covenantal adoptive relationship that God installed. They were children of God after the creation, having inherited that status from Adam, who was called a son of God. And I'm sure at one time or another in their life, they may have exhibited God-like attributes. Who knows? So the first three categories are, are pretty much established. But they had chosen to stand against Jesus and refute his claim to be the Messiah and reject him as the Savior of all mankind. And Jesus spoke to those detractors in a very negative way and called them children of the devil because they were under the authority and the influence of the devil. That's John chapter 8, verses 38 through 44. So even though they were covenantally children of God as Israelites, they forfeited that status. This is a very important statement. They forfeited all three levels of being children of God, the first three levels, by aligning with satanic beliefs and satanic character. 
And instead of being children of God, now Jesus himself, the Son of the Almighty God, declares and announces that they are sons of the devil, children of the devil. So there is a distinction between those who align themselves with God and those who align themselves with Satan. And so even though a person may be a child of God after the creation, if as they mature in life, they make choices toward sin, toward rebellion, toward evil, rejecting God, they forfeit that status because you can only abide in a status of being a child of God if you love what God loves and hate what God hates. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, there's a distinction made between children of disobedience and children of obedience. Let me read that passage. And he has made you alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Do you see how when the spirit of Satan or the spirit of demonic powers under his influence enter into a person's life and that person welcomes in this demonic influence, whether he or she is cognizant of it or not, they may do it without realizing what they're doing, but they welcome in demonic influence in a sense They are begotten spiritually by an evil source, an evil force. That's why Ephesians 5, 6, and 7 says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. If you qualify to be in that category, children of disobedience, you simultaneously qualify to be in the category of being children of Satan. And there's other ways that God differentiates between between these two groups. You're either among the children of darkness or among the children of light. You're either among the children of the night or the children of the day. You're either considered in scripture to be a vessel of wrath or a vessel of mercy. And as I've already mentioned, you're either children of the devil or children of God. And so decisions you make have a lot to do with the status you occupy in the sight of heaven. How can this be? Because there is a vacuum inside of every human being that must be filled. If you have a sealed container and all the air has been pulled out of it, vacuum sealed, then once you open the lid, whatever's around that vessel rushes in because a vacuum has to be filled. And humanly speaking, men and women in this world have an internal vacuum that must be filled with either the presence of God or satanic influence. And what you yield to determines what you're a child of, because whatever fills you influences you, and whatever influences you completes you or brings you to completion and maturity. You mature in that particular role, be it dark or light, evil or good. So there is a definite difference between being children of God naturally after the creation and children of God spiritually and supernaturally 
after the new creation. See, there's a big difference between the creation and the new creation. And we are the first fruits of the new creation if we've been born again. In fact, the Bible says that we're a kind of first fruits of all his creatures because we are the beginning of a plan that's going to cause the rebirth of the entire universe. First, Jesus washed our hearts in his blood if we've been born again, cleansed us from sin, regenerates us by infusing our spirits with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit enters into us, that's when we are regenerated, born again, and we become a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. We're the beginning of something huge in scope because ultimately at the end of the Messianic era, there's going to be the birthing of a new heaven and a new earth, and it's called a new creation in Scripture. So what God has done invisibly and internally in us will ultimately overflow to be absolutely visible and external throughout the entire universe. Isn't that amazing that we're the beginning of something that powerful? Not because we're children of God after the creation, but we're children of God after the new creation. We've been born again. And it's only when you're born again that you become an inheritor of eternal life. Jesus said, he who believes on me has everlasting life. So the product of this podcast should be twofold. Number one, it should make you feel a greater affinity with other people in the human race, even though they may not believe exactly like you. Their culture, their religion may be different. On a basic level, we're all children of God after the creation. Let's treat people in the natural, and I say that in a very qualified way, in the natural as brothers and sisters who are common descendants from Adam and Eve. We're part of the same family made of one blood, the Bible says. However, there's another family that's much more important to be a part of, and that's the family of God in heaven and in earth that are named with the name of Jesus. So let's go out and tell our brothers and sisters after the creation that they can become brothers and sisters after the new creation and experience sonship to the maximum degree possible. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.